Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there, and welcome to today's Explaining History podcast. And the subject of today is going to be the Marshall Plan of 1948. Now, in order to fully understand the Marshall Plan, we need to be thinking in terms of establishing a context. And the context for it was the unimaginable devastation um, of World War II, the ruins of Europe that lay after the end of the conflict, and really uh, the ruins that were created really in the last 18 months of it. Most of the main cities of Germany had been devastated by British and American bombing and the cities of East Germany had been almost levelled to the ground by the Red Army. And whilst the occupation by the Nazis in many European countries involved a huge degree of plundering, the actual much of the devastation was actually caused when Allied powers were liberating uh, occupied countries. If you take the example of France, it's estimated that between 60 and 70,000 French civilians were killed during the battle from D-Day onwards to the liberation of Paris. So the fact that France once again was a a front line between Allied forces and and Germany uh, caused an immense amount of destruction. And it wasn't just towns and cities that was destroyed, the very infrastructure of everyday life. Railways, roads, telegraph, canals and fields, farms, anything that you can imagine. And the Germans had opted for their own scorched earth policy as they retreated, destroying vital industrial infrastructure, knowing full well that when the post-war years were in full swing within Europe, that Germany would have a critical advantage as much of her industrial infrastructure had managed to survive Allied bombing. Quite crucially, farm production had collapsed across Europe and an enormous number of livestock had been lost. And this might sound trivial during wartime, but when we're talking in terms of millions of cows, pigs and sheep, this has a significant impact on the ability of Europe to feed itself after the war. So it's this context, combined with the millions of displaced persons, refugees, and the post-war ethnic cleansing as Germans were purged from Poland and from other Eastern European countries, that really, really frame what we're going to talk about. George Marshall 
Harry Truman's Secretary of State and the former Chief of Staff to Franklin Roosevelt was well aware of this context and he reported back in 1946 and 1947 to the US government from various trips to Europe a very gloomy outlook for Europe. He was of the opinion that unless something was urgently done there would be potentially in many European countries a communist takeover possibly a resurgence of fascism and Nazism, as both were far from extinct in 1947, and most likely another grand European civil war between the two ideologies. There were both very healthy communist parties in Italy and France, considered by America the most likely countries to go communist, for want of a better term. And of course, the Red Army occupied Hungary, Czechoslovakia, East Germany and, the re and Poland and the rest of the, e the East European bloc. Standing in the shoes of an American in 1945-47, one could be forgiven for thinking from that perspective that democracy had a very short lifespan and the outlook was particularly gloomy. And to add to the miseries was a terribly harsh winter from 1946 to 47, which paralysed the continent. All the major combatant powers of the war, Britain, France, Germany, had exhausted every last penny they had. Their treasuries were bare and empty by the end of the war. On the other side of the Atlantic, however, both Canada and America had received all, next to no infrastructural damage from the war, they may have lost shipping, uh, but for the most part, they, there was no damage whatsoever. Both nations emerged from the war considerably wealthier than when they first began. The Americans had something like half the world's wealth and 5% of the world's population by 1945. An indication of the fear of the communist threat particularly can be seen in 1947 in France and Italy, where all of a sudden coalition governments that had existed since the end of the war decided it was time to expel communist members. On the other end of the political spectrum, denazification had not really worked quite as effectively in occupied uh, Germany, in the occupied, particularly in the West German sector, as the Allies would have hoped for. German nationalism had not particularly died out with the defeat in 1945. Perhaps a great deal of faith in the, in the Fuhrer Adolf Hitler had, but by and large there was every fear on the part of uh, the Allied Control Commission that some kind of resurgent version of Nazism may well re-ensue. There seemed also to be precious little evidence of a deep degree of soul-searching over the Holocaust, though partly that may have been due to the Allied Control Commission itself not really prioritising discussing the Holocaust or the fate of the Jews in any great depth. Certainly the punishments that were inflicted on Germany at the end of World War II are nowhere near as onerous as the ones inflicted at the end of World War I. However, Germany was forbidden to have any kind of war industry 
and instead of fully dismantling it, as the Soviets had begun to do in the East, the Allies saw fit to gradually let German industrialism decline and die. However, they encountered a paradoxical situation. Whilst this seemed desirable, and it had been mooted in 1944 with the American Morgenthau Plan, which never came to light but was a great propaganda tool in the hands of Goebbels, very quickly the Morgenthau Plan was a plan put forward by Henry Morgenthau to Franklin Roosevelt to suggest that Germany be reduced to an almost agrarian state. The Allies began to realise as they occupied the western portions of Germany that no European recovery was going to happen without a recovery in German industry, Germany having been the most dynamic industrial power on the continent prior to and during the war. Also, the mothballing of German industry was deeply unpopular. So, the challenge that faced the Allied powers was partly how to contain communism, but also the question of how to revive the European economy. And the two work hand in hand. If we have a prosperous economy and markets working efficiently, people being supplied with goods and services and being paid wages, there really is very little chance that they will consider more extremist options. And it's interesting that this is an American initiative, and I would argue it has its roots in the New Deal of the 1930s, where Franklin Roosevelt used state power to intervene to iron out the perceived failings of the market. The Marshall Plan is slightly different, but it really is a, a use of state power, particularly American state power, as a almost last-ditch attempt to finally sell the virtues of liberal democratic capitalism to a continent that is wavering towards extremism once more. So as we've seen with the um, previous podcast I did on the Truman Doctrine, by about 1946 the Truman administration is starting to worry that really the Soviets are not going to keep any of their promises the Soviet Union has declined to withdraw from Iran when it was meant to. The British and the Soviets both invaded Iran during the war and divided it equally between them. And also, by 1946, Winston Churchill, on his tour of the US, begins to speak out more vociferously in a more belligerent tone warning Americans that the Cold War has really arrived and that the Iron Curtain has descended across Europe from Stettin on the Baltic to Trieste on the Adriatic. One of the key characters who changed the mind of Truman was former President Herbert Hoover. Now, Herbert Hoover, during World War I, had been deeply involved in the um, aid to and relief of Belgium and was you know, despite his failings as a president, a great humanitarian and a man who deeply cared about the resuscitation of Europe. And he told, he told Truman, and I quote, There is the illusion that the new Germany left after the annexations can be reduced to a pastoral state, as in the Morgenthau plan. It cannot be done unless we exterminate or move... Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 25 million people out of it. He added, the whole economy of Europe is interlinked with the German economy through the exchange of raw materials and manufactured goods. The productivity of Europe cannot be restored without the restoration of Germany as a contributor to that productivity. And the Marshall Plan became a, a, real, a reality the moment when the White House connected European economic resuscitation and particularly German economic resuscitation with US security. America is in a dangerous period between 1945 and 1947 of perhaps retreating back into isolation and it is the Truman Doctrine, as I've previously discussed, and the Marshall Plan that really make that no longer an option. When Marshall became Secretary of State in January 1947, one of his first meetings was with with Vyacheslav Molotov, who was, of course, Stalin's foreign minister. And in that meeting, he pressed Molotov for some kind of accommodation, that there would be a general agreement that Germany be resuscitated and revived in some way. Now, whilst this was within the interests of the US, it certainly wasn't within the interests of the Soviet Union. The, there was little chance of the Soviet Union selling the virtues of communism, really, to anybody. Instead, communism would thrive amidst the devastation. The more hungry a subject peoples were, be it the Poles, the Hungarians, the Czechs, or whoever, the more likely they were to ally themselves to the party, really in a, a, a bid to eat. In addition to that, sympathy towards the Germans was going to be a very hard sell to Stalin, who was still in the frame of mind that the German people must be mercilessly punished for their crimes. And, in fairness, 27 million Soviet citizens and members of the armed forces had died during the German invasion of Russia, and one can't help but feel that that really did colour the thoughts of the Soviet leadership. Marshall also met Stalin himself, 
who was supremely disinterested in any kind of arrangement that was going to benefit Germany. In June that year, it would appear that Marshall had already made his mind up. He said, It is logical that the United States should do whatever it is able to do to assist in the return of normal economic health to the world, without which there can be no political stability and no assured peace. Our policy is not directed against any country, but against hunger, poverty, desperation and chaos. Any government that is willing to assist in recovery will find full cooperation on the part of the USA. Its purpose should be the revival of a working economy in the world so as to permit the emergence of political and social conditions in which free institutions can exist. It's possible that Marshall, more than anybody, having sent so many Americans and other Allied soldiers to fight and die, had a great deal of emotional commitment in preserving a lasting peace. At this point, however, the plan was little more than a kind of a generalised notion. There was little understanding in the US State Department how it would work, and what Marshall really wanted was for European nations to send their foreign ministers to assemble and to really work out what practically could be done or should be done. And at this point, the offer was open to the countries that were still being occupied by the Red Army. Having heard the broadcast, both the British and French were quick off the mark to take the Americans up on their offer, and they were the first powers to suggest that the Soviets should be included as well. Of course, Marshall's offer had extended to the Soviets, but the Russian response was decidedly different. The Americans knew that Stalin probably wouldn't participate, and the degree of distrust, paranoia and suspicion from Stalin over anything emerging from the West was the deciding factor. The ideology that Stalin had lived with really for most of his life and the ideology that formed every conception, every notion of the Soviet state, that it was a state under siege and there had been obviously an invasion during the Russian Civil War and then the Nazi invasion during World War II, which Stalin still really blamed on capitalist powers. All this added up to uh, Stalin to be um, concrete evidence that everything, every offer, every advance from the West should be treated with the utmost suspicion and caution. And really, in his eyes, the Marshall Plan was simply part of a ploy to build up anti-communist forces once again. And in one way of looking at things, it, it was. It was a way of containing communism. And the Stalin certainly didn't want the Americans demonstrating to an impoverished East European and Soviet peoples the advantages of the, the capitalist world. When Soviet troops had wound up in Germany at the end of the war and in other parts of Eastern Europe which had been uh, demonstrably more capitalist, for want of a better word, prior, um, prior to the Soviet invasion, they were astounded. These were people that had grown up in school having been indoctrinated that living conditions in the West, in the capitalist world, were medieval and backwards and they suddenly found that by and large people were far more prosperous 
and far more affluent than anything comparable in the Soviet Union. So keeping out Western affluence from the Soviet Union was a political imperative for Stalin. Also, one of the conditions implicit in martial aid and taken up by Ernest Bevin in the British government was the idea of a creation of a combined European economy. And from here, from the Marshall Plan, we can see really the uh, seeds of the European Economic Community later replaced, obviously, by the EU. And this is something that the Soviet Union could never have participated in. The Stalinist command economy was completely incompatible with any kind of integration with European capitalist states. So Molotov rejected the plan out of hand, and all other occupied Soviet-occupied countries followed suit. So in 1948, finally, Harry Truman signs the Economic Cooperation Act into existence. And this was an arrangement between the USA and the majority of Western Europe's leading nations. There was something of an ulterior motive from the US government as well. The only people really capable of supplying the material goods to resurrect Europe were obviously American manufacturers. And it was these American manufacturers who were going to benefit the most. US taxpayers' money would go to Europe. Eventually that money would be repaid the, uh, as loans back to the USA. However, in the meantime, it would be used to purchase goods and services from America. So in the short run, US corporations were being to some degree, subsidised by American taxpayers themselves. And if you skip back and look at the degree to which this was controversial, to say the least, um, and the, the use of American taxpayers' dollars subsidising anything was controversial, to say the least, during the New Deal, you can see how possibly this, their objections could be raised. Um, under, however, the auspices of the Cold War and the, the threat of communism, there seemed to be little argument other than this was entirely necessary. It's interesting to note that the first major recipients of martial aid were Greece and Turkey, the places where British support was diminishing and the greatest threat, you know, literally in Greece, a civil war against the communists is being fought. The greatest threat from communism appears to exist. However, the link between um, communist uprisings and martial aid is slightly harder to make in the case of Britain. And it was Britain that had the largest share of martial aid after, the, uh, um, after 1948. And yet Britain herself, who had bomb damage, but li little else, and nothing compared to the degree of devastation which had uh, been visited upon places such as Germany. Okay, so I hope you found that useful and helpful and a, a good in-depth insight into the, the workings of the Marshall uh, Aid Programme. I'm going to be talking a lot in future weeks about the early Cold War era, so I'll be returning to the Marshall Plan bit by bit. It's one of those things that tends to cross-fertilise into other topic areas. Um, if you want to know more, go to www 
www.explaininghistory.com sign up for our newsletter in fact go and do that now sign up for our newsletter and I will be sending out a uh, fortnightly diet of modern history pertaining to all manner of topics and then there's some interesting stuff coming up as well of which I shall inform you more about later on anyway thanks very much for listening and don't forget go to our website sign up for the newsletter go and do that now and I'll speak to you again soon thank you hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com <laughs> <laughs> 